0: back into Matthew chapter 5, to the greatest sermon that that was ever preached, because it is the greatest preacher preaching it, the Son of God, amen. amen? So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray, God, for your blessing. We ask, God, for eyes that can see and a heart that can understand, ears that can hear, so that we could put these... Uh, blessings that are difficult to feel like blessings lord into practice and be encouraged by them, so that when we are feeling the pressure especially with that last beatitude of persecution god that we would be able to count it all joy we need your help to do that in jesus name amen. amen well yes time to get back to the sermon on the mount and finish jesus introduction to a three-chapter sermon called the sermon on the mount because he preached it on a hilltop and so uh the eight beatitudes from the latin word beatus that we call them beatitudes or blessings they start off the sermon of the mount there with character qualities of the christian that bring God's blessing. I don't know about you, but I want to behave in a way that invites the blessing of God, amen? And so, as you will recall, uh, Jesus began his ministry preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, and we've spoken of this, that the kingdom of, the king of heaven, I should say, has come down to, on a mission, To reconcile the fallen world back to himself. And he did that by dying for the sins of the world. Resurrecting and then offering everybody whosoever had faith in him. uh, To have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. But in order to receive that. So uh, he was saying repent. Change. And be changed so that you can receive this access to heaven which has come near to you. And so, uh, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John chapter 3. In other words, if you're just born the regular way, you'll never get to heaven. You have to have a spiritual birth. He said you have to be born again from above. And so, that's what repentance is. It's the change. And so... That change is explained right away and Jesus makes quick business to get to it in Matthew chapter 5 to begin an explanation three chapters worth of what that change for those who are born again looks like. For those whose the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, he says, "This is what your life will look like and look like." And it's a big radical change, is it not? I mean, come on, Christians aren't reforming their lives, not at all. We're being transformed to something new the world doesn't understand that i didn't understand it at the time that i became a christian i just thought i was going to just turn over a new leaf and start living a certain different way but i didn't understand that there'd be a new life raised up inside this old body and so yeah, it's 180 degrees about face as the Sermon on the Mount is, is about to show us. Even the blessings don't feel like blessings, but they are uh, blessings indeed. And so it's God's worldview now. Uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount has been called Christianity 101. You know, it's just everything. God's worldview, his moral standards, his values, his expectations, his priorities, his purposes. They're all laid out for us here at the Sermon on the Mount. And the only... The problem is is that God's ways are at odds with our human ways. And therein lies the problem and the source of much of the friction in our lives and the accounting for the last blessing of persecution. And so we'll get to that this morning. Well, let's dive in with that introduction. Now, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, you'll recall. Let's just kind of refresh our memories. We'll read up to the last two that we left off on just for context. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, and there were thousands of them, uh, he went up on a hillside and sat down His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and let's take a look at that first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not normally a blessing to admit that you're a total loser, spiritually speaking. But he says, in this case, when you come to God and you're aware of your spiritual poverty and bankruptcy before God, uh, amazing grace can save a wretch Like you. And so it's a blessing to acknowledge your total depravity and your need for righteousness. And the the second one says, Blessed are those who mourn. Now we have two messages on our website that delve into this, but I'm just catching us up, right? Uh, Blessed are they who mourn. That pain and shame of our own sinfulness, of a world that's rejecting Christ, of loved ones who are uh, perishing before our very eyes that grief inside of us is blessed because it differentiates us from those who are perishing and helps us look to god we have a blessed grief that we bear and then the third one blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth coming to christ is a humbling experience He knocks all of us off of our high horses and into the dirt from which we came. And we take our rightful position before the true God. We abdicate the throne and we become meek. And he says, just so you know, meek is not weak. And in the end, those who triumph in this life will be the turn the other cheek guys, not the world's proud tyrants. So he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Well, who likes to be hungry and thirsty? He says, well, it's a good idea if you are blessed with a nagging ache inside to be what God wants you to be, to see his face, to see the world bow before him, to be right with him, because he has living water that will make you live forever. And he has the bread of heaven that will give you a resurrected life. But only the hungry and thirsty will taste of the living water and the bread of heaven. So it's a blessed ache to have. And then he goes on to say, blessed are the merciful. This is the first character quality that has an outworking, right? And he says, my people, first and foremost, before we even talk is all they're about is mercy because they've been given a lifetime of forgiveness and mercy. So, of course, they will, even though it's hard to cut people slack and treat them better than they deserve, which is what mercy is. He says, my people, they are merciful and they will be shown mercy. And someone who's not merciful jesus words it evidence evidences that you do not know the forgiveness of god so blessed are the merciful blessed are the pure in heart and now we're caught up here with this last one uh catches us up here yes uh yes god cleanses us from our sins and purifies us as we come to him and confess and yes we continually keep ourselves from defilement but Really, and I didn't really get a chance to touch on this last time, but purity of heart also means a singleness, a purposeful aim that is has integrity or wholeness or pure in its scope to love God, to do God's will. Purity of heart and mind means you're you're purely devoted, you're purely focused and dedicated that's purity of heart and mind as well and and from which the entire christian life springs if you don't have that nothing else is going to work in your christian life so okay that was a brief recap and now we're on to our text our passage which we have not covered matthew chapter 5 9 through 12 two blessings left one Character quality and one consequence. Okay, here we go. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for because you're right with God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he repeats it again because we'll need to hear it again. Yes, I said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of stuff against you because of me, evil stuff, no doubt. Uh, Verse 12, rejoice, be happy. Throw a party. Okay, it doesn't say throw a party. But because great is your reward in heaven. And by the way, in the same way they persecuted the heroes in the Old Testament. You're in good company. The heroes, the prophets who were before you. We can leave that up for now. Two things to consider now in this morning's passage. The first, the seventh blessing, peacemaking. And it's the last of the character qualities that bring a blessing from God. And the second, uh, uh, verses 10, 11, and 12 deal with the final blessing that departs from the theme of all of the seven Beatitudes before it were character qualities that bring the blessing of God. Now he's going to say, here's the consequence. If you live with the seven character qualities, if you live godly in an ungodly world, you will certainly have consequences and you will have blessed consequences, though it be uh, uh, in the form of suffering, rejection, and mocking and all of that from the world. And so uh, two thoughts here, note takers. Uh, One peacemaking to persecution now did you catch what I just said did anybody catch the paradox of putting uh, peacemaking and persecution together like that the Holy Spirit did that for a reason to show you how absurd and crazy this world is that here you have those who are bent on making peace who are meek who, who want to love God, who are uh, mourning their own sin and making it about everybody else and extending mercy. Uh, it, the arm that's holding out the olive branch often gets broken <laughs> by those uh, would-be recipients. And so, yeah, right away you see, whoa, wow, what an upside-down world we live in that, uh, that you would persecute those who are trying to be part of the answer not becoming part of the problem so these are things that we got to talk about let's isolate that verse about peacemaking because it is the culmination it's the tada you know they've all been working up they're getting harder and harder to do first of all, but they're all leaning into each other. And now this is kind of what how God sees the overarching theme of a son of God or a daughter of God is that they make peace. God's sons and daughters, and notice that he's defining his children by the attribute of of being a peacemaker in every situation they encounter. And this is very interesting here. Uh, and, And so... Sons of God and daughters of God as different from the children of darkness in this world, really, uh, in their families, in their marriages, at school, at the gym, on the freeways, whatever, they are the ones who are really not part of the problem. They're never part of the problem. They're always part of a solution in the family, in the marriage. At the workplace, in the classroom, and anywhere else you find them, and of all the beatitudes listed, this is the one God says will define you as belonging to God: is that your life is characterized by the um, the bent, the effort, the intentionality to make things better wherever you go, biblically better, and so. We are never more like God our Father than when we are untangling a mess or uniting people, resolving problems, uh, making situations healthier and stronger. That's what God does. That's who he is. The devil's a troublemaker. The devil is the troublemaker, always. God is the problem resolver. And his children are not troublemakers. His children see problems and division and complications and possibilities of division. And they have a radar. And by nature of being a son or a daughter of God, they are prompted to go into resolve. Even if it costs them a little bit of their sin nature having to set aside some more natural inclinations to do God's will. So wherever they go, by word, by behavior, by their example, they are ending hostility. They are diminishing the cause for anxiety and anger and fear. They are quieting people. They are calming tensions. They don't fan flames. They snuff them out. They don't aggravate the situation. They make it better. They don't take a tear and go, let's try to see how far the tear can go. That's the devil's work that's what he does he gets his finger into a little foothold and then he starts tearing and ripping and repeating it over and over again and god's people drop the matter before the dam breaks he says that's what my son does god would say that's what my daughter does now uh certainly We need some clarification of what he means by making peace. One writer put it this way. This call to making peace certainly is not a call to make peace at any cost. Jesus warns us of the lack of peace in our families that he causes. Because of our standing with him. He said, I bring a sword and not peace in that regard. Standing with him or Bible truth. Peacemaking here is a person who goes through life working toward the welfare of people and situations biblically to bring restoration, healing, resolve without compromising biblical truth. One writer pointed out, and it was excellent, that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, it says, we are to overcome evil with good. That's a great illustration of what a peacemaker does. The overcome the evil with good good. We cannot make peace with the world system. It's not <laughs> east is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. It's just not going to happen, the ways of the world and God. False doctrine and false teachers, I'm sorry. He doesn't say make peace with them. He says point them out and have nothing to do with them. Draw a line in the sand. You don't make peace with sinning brothers who say I'm a Christian and are sinning... Uh, All day long, he says, no, 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 don't even eat with such a one. So there's no peace there in common sense, Christian ways. And still there's a way to go about even difficult situations where there can be no peace. Because it's as far as it depends on you. But you can still be kind. You can still be smart enough not to bring things up that are going to cause problems once you know where everybody's at. Your job is to be gentle and kind and loving, not caustic, uncaring, and inconsiderate. And so I ask myself the question, in my wake this past week, behind me, are relationships more hopeful? (laughs) Is the workplace more profitable? Is the family more united and at rest because of me? Because of my words? Because of my example? Is the church stronger? Or are there little pockets of problems? Because you fan little petty things. And you make little criticisms. Is the church hurting because of your mouth and your behavior? And you just think you're blowing off a little steam? It's the work of God. You're called to be a peacemaker. How much more in the world? How much more in the church of God's people? That's what he says. That's who my kids are. How do we do that? Well, we diffuse explosive situations with soothing words. You know, when somebody's talking about a problem. You're pointing out, well, did you think of this? And how about the benefit of the doubt? And oh, how about the good things there? How about standing up for the person when there's fractures and factions of relationships? I always brag about Barb in this one way, and she hates it when I bring her up in the sermon, and that's kind of why I do it. <laughs> 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 uh, she says, um, years ago, there's a bunch of ladies she was sitting with, and they were all picking away at the pastor's wife we weren't in ministry at the time and it got so bad you know the pastor's wife had depression and and she wasn't really involved and so the the ladies were having her for lunch and barb said to me she said my heart was beating out of my chest but i knew how to say something and i just just burst out ladies ladies She's the pastor's wife. You you don't know the cross that she bears. You don't know the sacrifice of her life. How can you as God's daughters. Be picking apart a woman. Who's married to your pastor. It is a beloved of God. Ladies let's pray for her instead. And she brought healing. She brought peace. So ladies apologized to the pastor's wife. There was strengthening and goodness because one person had the courage to be a peacemaker. This is what he's saying. We have a choice. Voice your complaint or overlook the petty offense," Proverbs 1911. "Make it all about you, or consider others better than yourselves," Philippians chapter 2. Dig in your heels or go the extra mile. You can turn the other cheek or slap them back. Sometimes, in the moment, there's more pleasure than slapping them back. But it doesn't bring the blessing of God. That's not what making peace is. And so when you get aggressed, he says, soft answer. When your enemy comes calling, you say, he says, Give him something to eat. When somebody wants to sue you, he says, throw in something extra for the guy. Because why? You're a peacemaker. That's who you are. God sent Gabriel down and said, go to Santa Rosa, go to the rock, go to Santa Rosa in general. Here's the clipboard I want you to find. My children, based on one criterion, observe their conversations in private, observe their social media comments, and I want you to list who are my sons and who are my daughters by one qualification, that they bring peace wherever they go. Write them on the list because they belong to me i pray to god that that i could make that list i pray to god (laughs) that he'd have mercy on my wretched soul and on all of us we don't see how important this attribute can be and what is it with people who can't seem to do that that conflict and chaos seems to follow them all everywhere they go they make matters worse they create problems then they don't make things better you remember Pigpen? Can I show, show you? <laughs> Pigpen cannot help clean up anybody else's life because his own heart, his own life is in disorder. So he can't <laughs> bring order somewhere else. So everywhere he goes, even by his dog poor dog is in chaos why because he's around and wherever he is there's problems because and and one pastor put it so eloquently Colin Smith he, some of you listen to him. He's a pastor of an EV free a mega church somewhere in Illinois. He's got a thick Scottish accent, as all good preachers should have. <laughs> uh, and he says it's no surprise if you're failing uh, at being a peacemaker uh, that you would have failed at the beatitude right before, blessed are the pure in heart, because your heart's not purely devoted to God. And so where it's not united in your heart, you can't unite anybody else because you've got chaos in your own double-mindedness division and struggle in your own heart so you bring that wherever you go i like what he said if you're failing at number seven go back to number six which is purity singleness of heart and seek you first the kingdom get pulled in together there in your heart and from your life will come the healing and the restoring and the resolving amen we're done with that We are headed now to some persecution. Uh, Blessed persecution at that. You can follow along and I will paraphrase. God blesses, verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for having a right relationship with God. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you. Verse 11. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all kinds of evil things against you because you're my followers. Verse 12. Be happy about it. Be very glad for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient beloved hero prophets. They were persecuted too, just like you. So you're in very good company. Let's take a look at this. Now, this has been called the most unexpected and perhaps the the least welcomed uh, blessing of all. But he says right away, he says, look, if we work backwards, he says, you're in very good company. He says, this is nothing new. It didn't start with Jesus and the New Testament and Christians. He says, this has been going on from the dawn of time. You know, he could have mentioned Cain and, and Abel. Abel, right? The first one, uh, the first two born with, with, with belly buttons, the first two humans, right? He, it started there. One knows the way to approach the Lord with a blood sacrifice. The other one says, No, the work of my hands. I'll tell you, God, how I will come to you. And it will be through my good heart, sweat, equity. And the brother who just brought his blood offering, the lamb, he didn't have to say anything to get his head bashed in. The Hebrew word is to slaughter. The brother who said, you know, you don't have to say anything, but I'm really bugged that you approach God in a different way that says that I'm not good enough, that I'm not doing it the right way. I'm going to kill you. So, so Jesus said, listen, this serving me while others don't want to serve me thing has been going on a long time, and it always produces the same thing right from the shoot. Animosity, hostility, persecution. Isaiah was sawn in two. They put him in a hollow log and sawn him in two. Jeremiah was thrown in an empty well, a cistern, left to die. Elijah was running from his, life, running for his life from a crazed, uh, uh, demonized Queen Jezebel. God says it's nothing new. It's normative. It's been going on since truth has come into this dark world, and men tried to. Permeate the darkness with it. Once you try doing that, I don't know. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense because they're peacemakers. They're meek and humble and serving others. Micah. Here's the description. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We're to be people who do what's right, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. What happened to Micah? They killed him. They killed him. King Joram got his head off. Why? Oh, it's a terrible thing. You want to hear the crimes? Doing what's right, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. Horrible human being. Deserves to die. God's people, listen. They don't instigate, they don't aggravate, they don't create trouble, and yet they elicit from the world great Hostility! What a sad commentary somebody pointed out. On the condition of a world where pure goodness is spat upon, mercy and grace is slapped in the face, truth is despised, and the creator of the world is nailed to a piece of wood that he created. That ought to tell you about the world around us at large and why they don't appreciate the light. That we're supposed to be shining in their world. Jesus said that they'll persecute you. And he says persecute, persecute, persecute three times. The word means to hunt down, to inflict bodily harm, to verbally abuse all of the above. So where is the world's anger coming from that's fueling the hostility? Well, notice it's not bad behavior as we've been saying Because we're not rude, self absorbed, lawless, harmful, inconsiderate, or hateful, or troublemakers. We're called to be just the opposite. So, verse 10, he underscores this by saying, You'll be persecuted because of righteousness, which means your right relationship with me, obeying the commands, and doing what God told us to do making disciples, not to be silent to reach out in this world, to live our faith out loud kind of people. And so he says he qualifies it again. You're blessed when men, verse 11, insult you, reject you, hassle and mock, and look at it, because of me. Now there's a lot of suffering at our own hands because we do stupid and foolish things or we make bad choices. All of that is on you and on me. There's no blessing in that kind of suffering. Even the Apostle Peter said, when you should suffer, it shouldn't be because you're breaking the law, stealing, making trouble, prying into other people's business. No, 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 no. If you struggle with persecution there, that's on you, and it's not blessed, it's well-deserved. No, but suffering, a little chuckle here and there a little comic relief because I know I've stepped on a few toes already I, I, I heard it uh, Now, but suffering for Christ is different Peter says oh no when you suffer because you've, you're a Christian it's linked ultimately to Jesus or some biblical truth that you've been clinging to uh, he says the spirit and the glory of God rests upon you that's the blessing idea here now to just further accentuate that the persecution ar- uh, arises from a meritless uh, cause, Jesus, at, on the Last Supper, at the Last Supper, he quotes Psalm 69 and verse 4. He says, you know what? There's a lot of hate out there. I'm about to get killed. And guess where this hate is coming from? He says, they, quote, they hated me without cause. A thousand years earlier, David prophesied this line pertaining to the rejection of love incarnate. That love would wrap itself in human flesh and then get crucified and then jesus just likes to say things like um when they want to kill him one day in john chapter 10 he says oh i'm just curious for which of my good and loving deeds are you about to kill me for god he likes to point out what's wrong with you people he loves to say, do you guys not see a problem here? I'm doing loving, kind, miraculously wonderful things, setting people's lives free, and you want to kill me? I just want to know which one of those beautiful works are you going to kill me for? And then another time, he points this out all the time. He's in their courtroom, and he answers the question truthfully, and it's very nice, and and the guy says, smack him on the face, and he's backhands God. And Jesus says, why did you punch me? If I said something wrong, point it out. But if I speak the truth, I just want to know, why would you do that? What's wrong with you people? That's what he's been saying. They hated me without a cause. He's, he's bringing an indictment on the world. And here it is. Here, I've got a picture of all three of them he says this is the verdict i've been here i made my dwelling here i have come up with the solution here for what the craziness is all about light the light of the world has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because what they do is evil and then he says the world hates me because i tell them uh that's wrong you shouldn't be doing that right And then uh, Peter chimes in with, of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer do the wild and crazy things they do, and so they slander you. And so the problem is not that you're doing something wrong, people. You need to keep doing it, even though it's generating some tension in your lives. It means you're doing something right in front of somebody who's doing something wrong and loves it doesn't want to change it and views you and the light as a threat now have you ever been around (laughs) in a dark room maybe you've been sleeping for a couple hours and some bozo comes in and flicks on all the lights that person is risking their lives <laughs> by doing something like that. We had a guy in a dorm room that used to always do that. He'd come home late from work and turn on all the lights at one in the morning. Come on, man! Oh, I don't, you, you know. So what you've done, and you don't have to say a word. You just have to change your life. Come out of that life and stop laughing at those jokes and stop doing the things that they do and you're flicking on the lights, and they're like, whoa, could you just tone it down? But I didn't say anything. You don't have to say anything. The presence that you left the lifestyle, and you've been blaming Jesus for it, that's enough to tell them. What does it tell them? It tells them, if you're at the table, it tells them that they are wrong, and need to repent, and acknowledge God. Without you saying anything. That's what a testimony says that we have choice, that we can serve God or serve ourselves. And people were serving themselves who are in love with autonomy. Autonomy means I can do whatever I want today, I'm the Lord. And the gospel threatens that. They love that. Are you kidding me? To bow down my knee to a Lord? Well, these are all the things we struggled with, remember? These are the things that make people not very happy with Christians. They don't want to be corrected, and so they end up insulting. That word insulting in verse 11 is to revile or to curse or to verbally uh, abuse Uh, The word persecute there, I already told you, you know the effort to inflict harm. They will fire us, they will ostracize us, they will jail us, and they will kill us. BBC, quoting a secular human rights organization, just recently said, and I I Google around, it's about the same number everywhere, 100,000 Christians martyred a year. 100,000 Christians lay down their lives a year in other countries and mostly uh, at the hands of Islamists, mostly. Why? Because they identify with the one true God who says, apart from me, there is no God so the truth that sets our hearts free they see as a threat and they need to annihilate that or discredit the message so if you're preaching this message they're mocking the message jesus said it's the message in me they have a problem with it's not you you're just kind of caught in the middle of this it's the battle is between them and me god says and if they hated me they're not going to love you and if they persecuted me they're not going to give you a surprise uh, party and a standing ovation they're going to uh, hate you and reject you as well because you're, li- you're like Christ Jr., you know. So we move on here, kind of wrapping up here. How are you guys doing with the persecution that we receive? The persecution that we receive um, is really not about our physical lives but our social lives, You know, you have two options when you're persecuted, and I'm talking mostly to the young people or especially to the young people. You have two options. To stand and take the heat at your schools with your liberal teachers and your liberal friends and your friends on social media and all of this, to receive a blessing even though you take some heat in the world and a future reward. That's your option. Take the heat now in this life and then be rewarded later for eternity, or shrink back, find relief in the moment, make things more comfortable for yourself here, and way more popular, oh, the applause of the world. Let me uh, wrap up our thinking this way. Back in Rome, the days of Rome, if you wanted to conduct business or be a part of the community and just kind of really do anything, you had to pledge allegiance to the state and to Caesar. Uh, so most of you are familiar with this you'd go downtown to the town city offices and they would have incense always burning to their god caesar and so a little in the corner there part of the deal would just sign you off you just had to take a little of the incense and throw it into the fire and it would go and you would have to say caesar is lord or you would be denied the ability to work or join the trade unit union etc and etc now today it's political correctness that's the lord right and so you uh, we are required to take a pinch of incense and throw it into the fire and make allegiance to these new social ideologies so we get the pinch and we go yes okay and we throw it in and this is what you have to say you have to say there are more than two fixed genders male and female you have to say it's okay if a man wants to identify as a woman a woman wants to identify as a man you have to say marriage can be between whoever, whoever guy and guy, girl and girl Uh, Homosexuality, no, it's good. We're good. There's no such thing as hell. No way, man. Everybody goes to heaven. Jesus is not the only way. There's so many good religions in the world. If you sincerely believe it, the bottom line is love. Now you can join the trade union, you can get your 1 million likes on Facebook, and end the rest. And so that's where the tension lies today. Because the world's social mores and standards are ultimately tied back to moral standards of the Bible. This is how we got into this mess. They just see it as political correctness and equality and all of that. But they don't know it's tied down to core moral tenets of the Christian faith. So we're stuck. We're stuck right in the middle. And so now under the threat of all this pressure, evangelical so-called pastors, authors, Christian singers, worship leaders, here's what you do. Number one, all the pressure, 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 pressure. So you go back, as a Christian author, famous, if I said her name, you would all know who she is. She goes back, she tells her publisher, oh, I wrote some things, two paragraphs in some books 10 years ago, and I want you to take them out. And if you read them, they're perfectly fine on human sexuality. If you read them, you would all go, whoa, yeah. Yeah. God made men. God made women. This is what a marriage is. And she had them edit them out, saying they aren't sensitive to the culture anymore. Right. And so you have big names stepping down. And here's what they do. They're deconstructing. It's called to deconstruct. I'm just backing up and taking a bigger picture and reassessing. And they come up with a faith that you can take the incense and go like this. And it's acceptable. And here it is, a spirituality and a religion that doesn't... They exclude anybody that doesn't make any moral commandments that just says, hey, you live your life, I'll live my life, everything's cool, grace, love, no repentance, no changing, no new life, no holiness, none of that, no heaven and hell thing, none of that. So what some have done, some of your friends and family, some people we know, they bathed the knee and took the incense, and said, for the sake of my own comfort, for my own acceptance, and here's what they do, if you're famous enough, I guess, you could get a TED Talk, and so you go to your TED Talk, a blog, right, and you could tell the ways of how you love God in now a new and more open way to thunderous applause as you Abandon and apostatize your Christian faith. Thunderous applause. Yes, more open, more forgiving than Jesus, smarter than Paul. And a thunderous applause awaits you. And likes, 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 likes. And the only problem is the one thumb down is from the one you will stand before at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, isn't that worth it? Is that worth it to be well received here and turn a frown on Jesus' face? Paul says, you guys, to the Hebrews, he says, you guys are needing not to throw away your confidence. He says, we're not the ones who shrink back now who knows the spiritual condition of those who are now advocating it used to be let me say this quickly it used to be if you the word of the religious word is to apostate to fall away that's what it means it used to be you would fall away from faith, and it's like a shameful thing. It's like I, I failed, you know, and and you fade away until the sunset. But now the devil has changed all that. Now it's heroic to bend under the persecution and to come up with this newfangled gospel. And now it's heroic, and now instead of sulky skulking away, I should say, you're on a mission and a crusade to win others to unrepent, to repent of your repentance. You will find the world with open arms and cheering you on. I've repented of my repentance. Hooray for you. Welcome. This is what is called becoming an enemy of God, to be a friend of the world. And that's where persecution will get you if you're not walking with God, reading your Bible, counting the cost, picking up your cross. Every day, working at it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your wonderful love, your goodness. Now, as we reflect on the, the, the central core focus of what inspires us to stand tall, no matter the heat, put upon us the cross of christ on our behalf we pray that you'd strengthen us god in our resolve to stand for you who come hell or high water god in jesus name amen you've been listening to the rocks podcast our regular services are held on sunday mornings at 8 9 30 and 11 30 a.m in santa rosa california if you'd like to learn more please visit our website at cctherock.org